Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in St. Luke's Gospel, the 11th chapter, especially the 23rd verse. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and you of our radio audience. It's nice to be alive today, isn't it? It's nice to be here in God's house. And radio audience, it's nice to have you worshiping with us also on this beautiful day. As you know, this is the third Sunday in Lent, and our calendar says that today is called Oculi Sunday. That word Oculi is Latin, and it's from the first word in the intro for this Sunday, which begins, Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, because Oculi means eyes. In other words, this is Eyes Sunday. And the gospel lesson, the ancient text for this Sunday, which is being read in hundreds of thousands of Christian churches throughout the world that are liturgical churches today, it's the story about Jesus driving out a demon from a man. He was in Capernaum up in Galilee at the time, and there was a man who was possessed of a devil, and the devil had taken his power of speech from him that the person couldn't talk. Jesus drove out the devil, and then this man regained his speech. And when he did, we are told that the people were amazed. They marveled. But there were some in that large crowd that day that said, He's got to do more than that to prove to us that he's the Messiah, that this Jesus of Nazareth is the one that is to come to be our Savior. They looked at him and they said, Yes, you drove the devil out all right, but you did it because you're in cahoots with Beelzebub, who is the chief of the devils. You're in a satanic alliance with the devil himself. And then there were others that said about him, if you think you're going to prove that you're the Messiah by driving out a devil, you've got to give us a bigger sign than that. And then it was that Jesus turned to that audience and he made a tremendous statement about neutrality with regard to himself. We may say, what does he have to say about the neutral position with regard to him? This is what he told that crowd that day. He said this, he that is not with me is against me. He said, if you aren't with me, you are against me. If you aren't for me, you are opposed to me. If you are not on my side, you are on the side of my enemies. You are on the side of those that hate me, those that are hostile to me. You are on the side of those who would silence my name in the world forever. Christ says there is no neutral position. There is no medium place. There is no neutral corner. And nearly 2,000 years later, from the same word of God, Christ addresses those words to you and to me this morning about neutrality. What about neutrality in respect to Jesus Christ? He tells you and me this morning, there is no such thing as neutrality. There is no such thing as a middle corner. There isn't any such thing as a place between being for him and not being for him. Jesus says this, if you are not on my side, then you are on the side of my enemies who hate me with a vengeance, who would silence me forever. 
Christ says, there is no middle ground that you can say, I am neither on your side, but I'm also not on the side of your enemies. Christ says that is utterly impossible. That kind of position just simply cannot exist. There is no neutral ground. And you and I may say, why, that's ridiculous. How many of us this morning say, why, I'm a neutral. I don't care what he says. I occupy a neutral corner. I admit that I'm not for him. I'm not on his side. But I also want you to know that I'm not on the side of his enemies either. I am on neither side. I'm neither against him, nor am I his enemy. I'm just neutral. I'm in a neutral corner. And Jesus says, if you are not with me, you are against me. If you are not on my side, then you are on the side of my enemies that hate me and that would silence me forever. Christ says there is no position of neutrality. There isn't any intermediary ground. There isn't such a neither position that you can say I'm neither on Christ's side, but I am also neither on the side of his enemies. Christ says that's a delusion. Any attempt at being neutral with regard to Jesus Christ in your life and mine is absolutely a lie. It is a figment of the imagination and he tells us why. He says, either you gather souls for me or you scatter them. And let's know this, Christ says there is no neutral ground. There is no neutral corner, much as you may say, I stand as exhibit A, I'm a neutral. I am not on his side, but I'm not on the side of his enemies either. Christ says, if you aren't on my side, you are on the side of my enemies. You are on the side of those who maliciously malign me, who would silence my name forever. You are my enemy. You and I say, oh no. Christ says, because when you attempt any kind of a neutral position, you aren't saving souls, you aren't gathering them, you're scattering souls. You are driving souls to hell. Christ says, that's a lie that there is such a thing as neutrality with regards to me. And you may say to me this morning, preacher, if you're going to try to prove to me that there isn't a neutral position, that I can't keep my position, that I can't say I'm not on his side, but I'm surely not his enemy, I can assure you that. I'm just not for him, but I'm not on his enemy's side. I would not want to silence his name forever, but Christ says, if you are not for me, you are against me. There is no neither position. There isn't any neutrality. Why? Because, again, any attempt on your part and mine to be neutral means that we drive souls to hell. And you may say, prove it, preacher, with the help of God and his word, I hope to be able to. Because in the first place, Christ reminds you and me this. If you and I attempt a neutral position, if you and I say, now here, I am neither, I'm not on his side, and I'm also surely not an enemy, when you and I attempt that kind of a position, what are we shouting to the world? We are telling the world that Christ and his person mean absolutely nothing to us. We just couldn't care less. You and I may say, oh, no, I'm not saying that, but yes, we are. We're saying, if we're saying, I'm neither on his side, but I'm neither an enemy, then what about Christ and his person? You and I couldn't care less because if it meant anything to us at all, we would be on his side. 
And the very fact that we are not on his side and we admit it, that we've got sort of a neutral corner that we're not on his side but we're not an enemy, we are telling to the world this, that as far as Christ and his person, that he again was blood-bought and came into the world, that he is the one that was born of the virgin, that he was no less than God, you and I couldn't care less about that. That means nothing to us. That means this, we are telling the world because we are not on his side, we're telling the world, what's the difference whether when back in the Garden of Eden our first parents sinned and God promised the seed of the woman? That doesn't mean anything. When Cain killed Abel, the fact that God raised up Seth in his place so that from him the seed of the woman Messiah could come, you and I are saying, I couldn't care less. When again we say that in the time of the flood that God saved Noah and his family and they didn't drown so that from Noah's line could come the Messiah, you and I are telling the world, I couldn't care less. Because what? It doesn't mean anything because we have not cast our lot for Christ. When God raised up Abraham and raised up a nation from him, that from that nation should come the Messiah, we're saying, I couldn't care less. That doesn't mean a thing to me as far as Christ coming from that nation. When God kept them down in the land of Egypt for over 400 years and he delivered them into the land of Canaan, you and I are saying, I couldn't care less. When we are trying to be neutral, we're saying, I'm not on his side, but I'm not an enemy. Oh, aren't we? We're telling the world, I couldn't care less about him. When God has Isaiah say, that behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, you and I are saying, I couldn't care less. That doesn't mean anything to me. When God has Micah say that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, you and I say, I couldn't care less. When God again allowed the southern kingdom to be destroyed in 586 B.C. and sent them down into captivity and brought them back after 70 years of exile to keep them alive, you and I are saying, I couldn't care less. That doesn't mean anything to me. When finally in the fullness of time Christ came from that tribe of Judah, we're saying, I couldn't care less. And therefore, not only are we condemning ourselves, but we are giving every encouragement to others in the world in which we move to go ahead and to ridicule him, to blaspheme him. And it's all right with us because you and I are trying to take a position of saying that we are neutral and that doesn't exist. We can't say, I'm neither for him, but I'm not against him. When I'm not for him, I'm on the side of his enemies because I am encouraging others to blaspheme. Look what they did in this text this morning. Up there in Capernaum when Christ drove out a demon trying to show them that he was the Messiah and the Christ, there were those that said, sure he did it, but he's in league with Satan. He did it by the power of the devil. And oh, what logic Christ had. He said, oh, is that the way I do it? Isn't it strange? If a kingdom has internal struggle, if a kingdom fights against itself, it falls. If a house has inward war, civil war, it falls. And then Jesus says, wouldn't it be something if I were in league with Satan and he would drive a demon into a person, I'd drive it out, he'd be defeating himself. He'd be defeating his very purpose. And then Christ said, you can see that that is not true. And then he says, if I drive them out in the name of Beelzebub, how about your sons who are exorcists? And they drive out demons, then they must be in league with Beelzebub do. And when again they said, we want a sign from heaven, they were maligning him and blaspheming him. When you and I attempt to become neutral, when we say to ourselves, and oh, we think it's so wonderful, I am neither. I'm not on his side, but I'm surely not on the side of his enemies. You and I are on the side of his enemies. We are encouraging even those in our own home to blaspheme and to condemn him, we are driving them to hell. There is no neutrality. There is no medium position 
There is no neutral corner with regard to Christ. Christ said, if you aren't with me, you're against me. If you aren't on my side, you're on the side of my enemies. Today we ought to say to ourselves, this thing of neutrality is an utter impossibility. It's a figment of the mind, and if we're honest, we would stop and say, am I dreaming this kind of an impossible dream? Am I dreaming that I am neutral? Why would anybody want to be neutral? I'll tell you why. Because there's sort of an air of sophistication about being a neutral. Uh, we're looked up to as an intellectual, you know. We are a 20th century educated person if we can say, well, now, I am neither. I've got a neutral corner. Now, I'm not on his side, I grant you that. But on the other hand, I'm not one of his enemies. And oh, what a wonderful person he has. Their sort of status isn't there. But if you and I are trying to attain an impossible position, Christ says, when you're not on my side, you're on the side of my enemies. You are not gathering souls. You are scattering souls for hell. Then we ought to stop and say to ourselves, if we're trying to assume an impossible position, and we've done it in our home, let's look around. In sophistication, has this been your attitude in your home? I'll let my kids do as they please. Now, I'm not on Christ's side, but I'm not his enemy, but I'm going to let them grow up and do as they please, and then to see them grow up, and to see them hate Jesus Christ and have no use for him because you did it. Can you look in your home today? Do you have some sons or daughters that have no use for Jesus Christ and you're wondering why? Because you and your little smug complacency, you said, well, I've been neutral. I've been in a neutral corner and therefore I know that I'm not on Christ's side, but I'm not his enemy. Listen, you are a dastardly enemy. Their blood is on your soul and you know it. If they're damned, it's your fault. Their blood is on your soul and heart. Why? Because in the absolutely impossible position of acting like you're a neutral. You've been on the side of his enemies and you are helping just as much to eradicate his name as any about enemy that he has. There is no neutral ground with regard to Jesus Christ. And therefore, we ought to stand and say, you've got a son or a daughter or a husband or wife who has no use for Christ because in your smug sophistication, you stand and feel you're neutral. Their blood is on you, friend. Jesus says it's an utter impossibility to find a neutral corner. You're either on my side or you're my enemy. You're either on my side or you're out to absolutely take my name and to silence it forever. You are actually causing souls to be damned. There isn't any neutrality. You say, preacher, you mean I can't be neutral, that I can't have that aura of sophistication, that status that everybody looks up to me and wonders how intelligent I am and how tolerant I am and how again I can say, I'm not for him, but I'm not his enemy. You are an enemy of Jesus Christ because in the second place, my Lord would remind you and me if we're trying to attempt an impossible position of neutrality, we are shouting to the world, whether we realize it or not, that Christ and his cross mean absolutely nothing to us. 
That's obvious because, listen, if Christ and his cross meant anything to us, when we're trying to feign that we're neutral, we'd be on his side. But we are saying in simple language to the world, oh yes, it was fine that he came into the world. It was nice that he died on the cross, but it couldn't mean less to me. If it meant anything to a person trying to be neutral, he'd be on his side. In other words, you and I stand at the cross and we say, as far as I'm concerned, you didn't have to come into the world and suffer and die. The fact that you took the guilt and the punishment of the world on yourself, the fact that you bore the equal of an eternity in hell for the human race, you didn't have to do it as far as I'm concerned. After all, it was nothing. It doesn't mean a thing to me. In other words, you and I stand and we say with that robe of righteousness, Jesus, that you merited on the cross for all men that robe that when a man puts it on it covers up his sin and his guilt and gives him eternal life in exchange for a childlike faith you and I if we're trying to attain that impossible position of neutrality we're saying I couldn't care less if you and I could care just a little more we'd be on his side the fact that we aren't on his side Christ says don't ever make yourself think that you're neutral you're my enemy why not only do we damn ourselves but we are telling everybody within our own home and within the world in which we move that you can go ahead and you can spurn Christ in the cross and you can with impunity slap him in the face nothing's going to happen to you if you and I are neutral let's face it if you and I are trying with an air of sophistication to say with regard to Jesus Christ I am numbered amongst the intelligentsia. I'm neutral. I admit I'm not on his side, but I'm surely not an enemy. But the very fact that you and I are attesting to the world that Christ and the cross can be trampled underfoot because it means nothing, that God could have kept him in heaven and that this is a travesty, it didn't have to occur. What are we saying to the world and to those who move in our world? We're saying you don't need Christ and the cross and his righteousness. We are sending souls to hell. We are damning souls. We are on the side of his enemies, dastardly, cruel, vicious. That's why today again, oh, I know it's tough language when we talk about being neutral. So many of us think that it's a wonderful thing. We joined a church, never would we ever think of joining it. Why, I should say not, we'd been be caught dead in a church. Why, we're too intelligent. We're not on his side, but we're not his enemies. Oh, no, we have a little sympathy for him. Christ says, if you aren't on my side, you are on the side of my enemies. You are on the side of those who would silence me forever. We say to ourselves, if we can admit that and know that we are attempting an impossible dream, well, then this morning, being honest, we'd say, I'm going to get away from a delusion. I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ and confess that I'm wrong, that I am his enemy, that I have been responsible, that there is the blood of some souls on me for the simple reason that I have acted, that Christ didn't matter, and I couldn't care less. When we stand and face him and ask for forgiveness, that's the thing we ought to do. But why don't we? Why don't we? I talked to an attorney the other day. He stopped me, not a member of the church, a young man here in town. He said, happen to listen to it the other Sunday when you were talking about the virgin birth of Christ and the deity of Jesus. I agree with you with every word that you said. He said, some men are trying to come to this thing logically and you can't do it logically. It's by revelation in the word. And I said, right. And again, we say, why is it? What keeps a man from saying, I'm on Christ's side? 
Is there something missing in the word of God? Has God slighted us that someday we can say, well, the reason, Christ, why I didn't join up, the reason why I tried to be neutral, that I wasn't on your side, but I felt all along that I wasn't your enemy, is because you failed me. There is nothing that fails. The cause is, and here it's within ourselves. When Dr. Philip Smith just the other night talked to our Luther League kids about smoking cigarettes, it was an interesting story. He came in and he said, I'm talking to you as a doctor. And he said this, as far as the clinic is concerned, or as far as medical authority or science is concerned, there is no doubt about it. There is a definite connection between cigarette smoking and lung cancer and emphysema and heart attacks and all your coronary troubles. And he says, we can even prognosticate, if you tell me how many packs of cigarettes you smoke a day, how much you're shortening your life, we can even tell you with every cigarette that you smoke, how much you're shortening your life, there's no doubt about it. And then he said, but we have failed, and here is why. He said, cigarette sales have been greater than they've ever been in the history of our country. More young people are starting to smoke cigarettes than ever before, and people that are smoking are smoking more. What's the answer? He says, what's wrong? Logically, there's an ethical problem. Why do people smoke cigarettes? There's one answer. Because they want to smoke cigarettes. Why is it that a man wants to stand and say to Christ, I'm neutral. I'm not on your side, but I'm not on him, and I'm not going to join you because there's something wrong here? No. The only reason in God's world why you and I don't want to join Christ is because we don't want to. You and I aren't logical, don't kid yourself. We're emotional. When you don't want something, you don't want it. And just as, again, people will keep on going smoking cigarettes and emphysema and heart attacks and lung cancer because they want to smoke, the man, again, who wants to be a neutral when he knows it's utterly impossible, Christ says, you're either with me or you're against me. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground corner in this fight in which I'm engaged, then and only when the emotion comes and we say, I will to believe, will we come out for him and get out of the camp of the enemy and spare ourselves the utter damnation in hell that the worst enemy, the most blasphemous enemy of Jesus Christ will have. What's the fate of a person who attempts neutrality? It's hell and damnation. Why? Because we're on the side of his enemy because we got the blood of souls, because we have spurned Calvary, and we have led others to do the same. That's it. That's it. You may say, well, how about it? Christ reminds you and me also of this. He says again, when you're trying to be a neutral, you're trying to attempt an impossible position, it also shouts to the world this, not only that Christ and his person mean nothing to us, not only that Christ and the cross mean nothing to us, but also that Christ and backsliding mean nothing to us. You may wonder about this. What was he talking about, about driving the demon out of a man, and then the demon goes and goes to a dry place, and he comes back and he finds the heart empty, and he goes and gets seven others. He's talking about backsliding, talking about the person who, again, belongs to him and then wanders away. And you may say to him this morning, how do you become a backslider? Oh, it's easy. Miss church three Sundays in a row. I don't care who you are, just miss it three Sundays in a row and you're on the way. Many a person that misses church three Sundays who never gets back in, he's gone from Jesus Christ forever. Most dangerous thing in the world, it's so easy. Just stay away three Sundays in a row and again, you're on the road. What happens though when you backslide, when you've once known Christ? What about these seven devils that come in that a man's condition is seven times worse than it was in the first place? That is true, it is absolutely authenticated in history. Joe Stalin 
who is responsible in our generation to have put to death more Christians, to have been most vicious, most horrible, and most cruel against the kingdom of God, she actually had the priesthood in mind and started to study for it. If you want to see a vicious, bitter, damnable, horrible persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ, get a backslider. Adolf Hitler was baptized in the Christian home. A man that again put seven million Jews in a gas chamber. If you want to see hell broke loose, get a backsliding Christian. You and they say, well, if I am neutral, what have I got to do with that? Why, when you and I say I'm neutral, I'm not on his side, but I'm not an enemy. What are we shouting to the world? We're telling the backslider it's all right because it doesn't mean anything to us. What does Christ mean to us? We've never had him. Go on, and all the misery and the persecution and the souls that have been destroyed by backsliders, persecutors, vicious, contemptible, deadly. You and I say, oh, but I'm neutral. Oh, no, you and I are not neutral. That is absolutely impossible. There isn't any neutral corner. Christ says, if you aren't with me, you are against me. If you aren't on my side, you're on the side of Satan and hell. Because the very thing that we shout to the world is again, it doesn't make a bit of difference. I couldn't care less. Not only the loss of our own soul, but also the loss of those with whom we come into contact. We are deadly. We are deadly. I don't know how many neutrals I'm talking to this morning, but I hope to God again that we can be honest with ourselves and say, there's no reason in God's world why I'm not on his side. When you and I have repented and we've gotten to be on his side, then we can spend some time making amends for the souls that we've hurt, for the souls that we've hurt. Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain, you know, was one who was sure that he was a neutral. When he met the girl that he fell in love with, he told her, he says, now, I'm not a Christian. In other words, I'm not on his side, but I can assure you, my dear, that I'm not an enemy. And so she, a Christian girl, she married Mark Twain, the humorist. And oh, it was so lovely because, you know, a guy will promise a gal anything, won't he, if he's in love with her. And that's what he did. And so she wanted to know she could have grace at the table. And oh, Sam Clemens said that was just fine. It went on for a while. This man that was, again, he was going to assume a position of neutrality. He thought he had a neutral corner. But it got under his skin. And as you know, one day he shouted at her and he says, shut up. I don't want to hear any more of that. And when that dear old person was on her deathbed, and she was facing death and in fear. Finally, old Sam said to her, he said, darling, maybe you can find comfort in the Christian faith. And she said, Sam, it's gone. I've lost it, Sam. Sam Clemens had the blood of his own wife on his soul. He helped damn her. When I was in Cap University, I had a professor who also bragged on the fact that he was a neutral. You don't know what it is when you're in school, and I go back to my freshman and sophomore year, when you sit under a man who's going to take a PhD at Chicago University, and that day Chicago University, boy, it was it. Yeah, Robert Maynard Hutchins, you know, the young boy wonder was president, and if you didn't go to Chicago University, brother, you didn't raid in the educational world. And to sit at the feet of a guy that was writing a dissertation to get a PhD, oh, you have no idea what it means. But he came to the campus, you know, as he was going to be a neutral. 
I'm not for Christ, but of course I'm not his enemy. I love the guy. I even visited him in Chicago one time. But you know, this thing of neutrality, it would slip out in the class. Little things like this. You mean to tell me that God could take the rib of Adam and make Eve from her? <laughs> you have no idea what that means to a son or daughter of yours and mine with a buzzard sitting up there with a grade book and a Ph.D. hanging over his head. Oh, listen. Uh, those are the boys that are the influence on the campus. The fellow that is on Jesus Christ, he isn't much of a flare. Kids don't go so much for him, but the guy that's way out, a guy that's fainting, but he had a little boy and he loved that son. I've often thought how that son grew up, yeah, with a father that was trying an untenable position of being, again, unneutral. That boy grew up like that. And then later this father, this professor of mine, wrote an article when he realized what a horrible thing it was with that position, he wrote an article stating that he had embraced Jesus Christ. He had come back to him because he had found that the cross was the only way of salvation. It was revealed of God. It was the only hope for the world. And he went to that boy. And that boy came to Capital University for his education. And I think I know why. Because he had a father that was humble enough to go to the son and say, Son, I've been so wrong. I have sowed the wrong seed. I've been on the opposite side. I haven't been of any help. And when there came forgiveness, he had a boy who wanted to assure Dad that it was all right. He came to Cap University. That's what we can do, we can undo some of these things. No wonder in the audience that day when Christ finished, there was a woman that said, oh, blessed the mother that gave you birth and who nursed you. And Jesus said, yes, but far better the person that hears my word and keeps it old, not just to be physically joined to Jesus by relation, but to be spiritually joined. To be able to go to that son or that daughter whom you and I may have poisoned by sophistication because we have thought, oh, look at us. We're neutral. I'm not for him, but I'm not against him. And if we poisoned them, we've got their blood on our souls, isn't it time that we go and say, I'm sorry. When we have embraced Christ, then to find salvation with him, to say, mine eyes have seen the glory of Jesus. This is eyes, son, the oculi. Could we say, mine eyes, son, daughter, mine eyes have seen the glory of Jesus. There is no neutrality. Let's be on his side. That's joy. That's peace. That's Jesus Christ. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.